Welcome to the Yams and Yuka podcast, where we explore the fabric of Black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences, and more, sharing the stories of international creatives. I'm Heather. Hi, everyone. I'm Kamara, and we are your co-hosts. Thank you to those of you coming back to the table to dine with us, and welcome to all our new listeners. We have an exciting guest coming to the Yams and Yuka table. As always, before they come to the table, we will jump into our appetizer for a bite-sized conversation on today's topic. Let's see what's on the menu. Okay, so let's jump right in. Today's appetizer, we are talking about patience. Mm -hmm. This is patience in relation to anything really personally or professionally mm-hmm. for me obviously right away you know because that's in the vein that we're speaking of um I think about career but a lot of times um the way that I approach patients is completely different in my professional life and in my personal life I find that I'm much more patient professionally um And I think that's just how I was maybe raised to understand that it does take hard work and dedication and things just don't happen immediately. But personally, I get quite frustrated (laughs) and try to get ahead of myself. Right. What about you? Uh, Yeah, it's a hard one to continually remind yourself of, to be patient, especially as, you know, I think we're pretty goal-orientated people. Well, I'll, I'll just speak. For myself, I'm a goal-oriented person, but I'm I'm sure you are as well. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, because of that, you have things that you want to achieve, and you have a time frame in which you want to achieve them by. But yes, over the years, it's it's you have to learn to be more patient. I'm definitely probably more patient now than I was in the past. Um, I used to jokingly say when I was younger, I used to say um, patience is a virtue that I have yet to acquire because right. <laughs> <laughs> I just had zero patience and I was always in a rush. And it's it's mm-hmm. funny enough. I see that a lot in my child. Right. She gets frustrated so quickly when she can't do something like right. she wouldn't have even completed her first attempt. And she's already like mm-hmm. a mess, like completely yeah. over. It. And it's part of the three major phase where they get frustrated of not being able to do things but even just the way that she talks she's like I can't wait till I'm older and I can't wait and I'm just like babe just be a child right 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 <laughs> you can still take naps and it's okay <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah but um, it is it's, I find it hard to remember to be patient and to remember things like yeah things take time like you said things take time yeah they do take time and I think we learned that we learned that discipline. I know I did um, growing up through dance and training. Like you couldn't just get a pirouette the first time you tried it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So I learned it that way to be diligent. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I mean. But I feel like I learned I learned it in my work ethic and professionalism that it in your career that it takes time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just quite didn't quite trickle over to. other aspects of my life Mm -hmm. Uh, what about you what was your training experience uh well yeah I think it's just coming up just just working more in the work sphere and auditioning for things you know so many times you 
you don't get things the first time around um, and you had to audition multiple times or mm-hmm. things didn't happen straight away. You know, with running uh, us to youth dance, some things that I've wanted to happen haven't happened immediately. They've taken yeah. time, but they have happened over the years. There are still goals that I want to achieve for that. So I just have to remind myself that they will happen. Just yeah. everything takes time and things require other people, other systems. It's not just you independently uh, making things happen. So, you know, mm-hmm. we have to remember that as well. That... Yeah, the cards have to be all aligned. Exactly, exactly. Alignment, that is a good word. Yeah. yeah, things have to be in alignment. And sometimes when things happen and you reflect upon it, you think, actually, if it had happened at that time, I didn't think I would have been ready. I, I wouldn't have been able to manage it. So yeah. when sometimes when you don't, when you get a no for something or, or you get um, a, a rejection for something, that you had applied for when you actually reflect upon it you probably it probably wasn't the right time for that avenue anyway yeah. yeah when you talk about that reflection I was just reflecting um yesterday in fact about me wanting to um set up some sort of international training with a particular person who was in mm-hmm. a high directorial position and had I gone with that, mind you, this was three years ago, mm-hmm. had I gone with setting up some sort of training pr- program with that person, who knows what would have happened to my career and what consequences would have come out of that? Because now, three years later, it's been revealed that that person was not a very good person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, I dodged a bullet. <laughs> Do you know right. what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. one of those things where you reflect and you're like, Ooh, thank you. And, and it's not even about it being, you're not being ready for it. Sometimes like when, if you get something too soon, it could have been to your detriment mm-hmm. even. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've just recently gone freelance. It's been a year as of the first mm-hmm. um, of August. And I had moments, you know, five months into five or six months into being freelance, a pandemic hits and I lose all my work. So I cannot tell you how many times in the last six months that I've been like, oh, let me just apply for this job because I need money. Right. Do you know what I mean? Or right. I need to do something or I need the security mm-hmm. of having a job. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, I would see something and I would save the application I'm like, it kind of aligns, but like, not quite. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have the patience to like wait out for the work that fit my purpose, Mm -hmm. who knows what I would be doing right now. Exactly. Those full-time roles probably would no longer be there anyway. So yeah. So yeah. And when things don't work out as you'd hoped, uh, as they say, when one door closes, another door opens cliches like that but it is it is quite true it is quite true and to never be to never be too upset when things don't work out kind of think about why it hasn't worked out um Mm. is was there something that was lacking or were there further skills required like I think Mm -hmm. sometimes when you're really honest with yourself um when things don't work out there's usually a good good reason for it do you have 
someone who also checks you when you're being impatient? Do you have that person? Uh, yeah, I think I think my sister is very good at that. You know, I will get frustrated or say, oh, this didn't work out. She'll be like, it's okay. Matter. Like, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And and there's no time. Like, what is one year? What is five years? What is ten years? It's, it's still not a not a very long amount of time in the in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So we have to remember that. Um, so so yeah, she is a very good reminder of that. That to just be patient and to just be accepting of what is, mm-hmm. and to um, be accepting of what is and to be grateful where you're at at the moment and things will happen when they are supposed to happen. Yes, how about for you? Um, I don't actually. I don't have that person anymore. It's just myself. And I think that's partially because um, I play it quite close to my chest when I um, am making career moves, particularly, I think as of late, uh, I have been, and I think it's just mostly because of the reaction I got when I was moving to London and kind of just making an abrupt turn from, you know, my professional performance career. Mm-hmm. After that, I think I just didn't tell people what I was doing until it was right. already done. Right. <laughs> so, um, no, I have to be that. I have to be that reminder for myself a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> I think it can be, but um, uh, how do you remind yourself then? I think I just keep in mind some of the things that I've been told. Um, you know, when I was in undergrad and I was doing my repertory, my gram repertory module, the teacher was just, she came to me because she saw I was getting frustrated with the with the other students, like with my peers for not getting the choreography and not getting the transitions and the counts and everything perfectly after the first time that we had just learned it. And she was like, yes. she came to me, she whispered in my ear, like while everyone was working, she was just like, you have to remember that everyone is not like you. Like, right, exactly. Everybody yeah. needs a little bit more time. That's it. That's it. In different ways for things. That's it. So that always has stuck with me. And not in the sense that I tell my be- myself to be patient because of everyone else. Mm-hmm. I'm just mindful. I-, I translate that into everything doesn't happen as quickly as the one thing that you're really good at. Right. Yeah. You have to be patient with yourself and realistic. Yeah. And I think I do have people to remind me, but they remind me in indirect ways. So I think I've been really good at um, positioning myself or working with people who don't have the same personality as I do. Mm-hmm. I can be very type A and I'm around, I make sure I'm around people or, you know, the team of people that I work with have a different way of doing things to mm-hmm. give me that different perspective who are a, a lot more patient than I am. Right. So for example, I work very closely with Mercy and I have been working with her for a very long time, just, mm-hmm. just about as long as I've worked with you. Mm-hmm. And Mercy is incredibly patient, right. like, and forgiving. And mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I watch her in awe sometimes because I'm just like, I don't have it. I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that amount of patience. Right. <laughs> but it probably comes with wisdom. You know, she's much, she's 
much more seasoned um, yeah. than I am as far as working in the industry as well. Do you have people like that as well? Um, not necessarily that I work with in that capacity, but I think it's more um, in the in the opposite way in the respect of students. Mm. Um, working with young people and just remembering, and I think I've said this to you in the past as well, one thing is not everybody has the same experience that I had. So I know that when I was their age, I, you know, took advantage of every opportunity. I worked hard. I went to every single class. I just did things, you know, I did things on a level 100, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just learning different people and remembering that not everybody has the same experience as you. Not everybody has the same um, things going on in their life. Not everybody has the same support system. So you have to be understanding of different people's where they're coming from you know yeah. uh, especially some of the young people they have a lot of things going on in their lives um mm-hmm. that just makes it more challenging for them to focus on don't uh and things and they don't necessarily have the same support network that um perhaps I had when I was growing up so you know just remembering these things and even just looking at uh, relationships between students because like you said I've got some students in a group setting and they get frustrated at other people because they're not working mm-hmm. with the same pace as them mm-hmm. and you know I have said to some students you have to remember not everybody is the same has the same experiences as you do yeah. you, you just need to to be patient with that not everybody has the knowledge that you have not everybody so you know you you know especially with young people they kind of um not teasing but in a playful way if somebody doesn't know something that seems obvious um, and things like that you just you just have to be like you know what guys not everybody has the same knowledge as as us and I Mm -hmm. I this is this is a bit of a tangent but I remember when I was traveling when I went to New York the first time when I was 18 and I met this guy uh just somebody that I was chatting to and he asked me about Australia and he was like you know the stereotypical questions that I used to get that like does Australia have buildings? And I would just roll my eyes and think, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, of course Australia has buildings. Like, you know, um, and I was just, you know, I was so impatient with people. I'd just be like, rolling my eyes, like, what don't you know? How can you not know that Sydney has buildings? And then it, I remember he fully checked me and he said, listen, I don't, I didn't have the upbringing that you had I didn't know the knowledge that you know so I'm actually asking because I want to learn because I don't know when somebody is trying to learn and asking you questions you should really support them and help them and uh so from that moment I I tried to be I have a bit more empathy with people and Mm. remember that everybody has different experiences um you just forget sometimes some people you know, we, we have a privilege of having had a good education and, and things like that. Some people that some things that still a lot of people do not have access to. Yeah. Patience. Yeah. Patience, alignment, empathy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I guess having a level of trust. Yeah. That everything happens at the right time. Absolutely. Well, this is a great starting conversation for our meal today. Uh, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to introduce our guests. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. It's time to introduce our dinner guest. We have David Blake here with us today, but before he comes to the virtual table, I'll share a bit about him. David Blake is an international performing artist, instructor, and choreographer with more than 20 years experience in the entertainment industry, appearing in commercials, TV shows, film, and print. He is performing in Disney's award-winning musical, The Lion King, playing the role of Banzai. He received his performing arts training through the Kathy Levy Performing Arts Academy from California State University. He is a certified Lester Horton he is a certified Lester Horton Technique instructor for the Ailey School and a fellow of the International Dance Teachers Association, also known as IDTA, and holds an MA in Arts Administration and Cultural Policy from the University of London Goldsmiths. David has toured extensively throughout the Caribbean, United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom as principal dancer of the National Dance Theatre Company of Jamaica and guest artist for various dance companies and choreographers in Southern California. David has a demonstrative history of delivering arts and education programs for colleges, universities, and professional schools in the Caribbean, US, UK, and Europe. His career also includes charitable work through Theatre Cares, which is based in London, and the Missionaries of the Poor that raises awareness and support programs for the poor and destitute in Jamaica, Philippines, Haiti, India, and Uganda. At the beginning of 2020, David was invited to join the advisory board for Plie for the Arts in Jamaica, West Indies. Wow, what a biog we have there. Wow. <laughs> yes. Welcome, David. Welcome. Oh, hi. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to have you. And I, you know, ironically, I've known you for a while and I didn't even know all of that stuff about you. So I'm excited to hear what else I'm going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been a wonderful journey. I'm, I'm, I feel very blessed to have had those experiences over the years. Yes. Well, let's jump right in. Tell us more about your journey, your life, your career. Um, you know, start at the very beginning, tell us as much as you would like and bring us to present. Well, I think my journey began at age 10 when I auditioned for um, the Catholic Performing Arts group, which was probably, which was actually called Little People and Team Players Club when I started, because it started in 1988 and I joined in 1991. Um, it would have been equivalent to like the fame school in Jamaica. Mm. Um, we would go to like normal school in the morning, then go to training in the evening. We had, we're training like singing, dancing, acting, sign language, theater in black, puppetry, mime. And we would put on a concert season every year in May, which is Child's Month in Jamaica. Our artist director, Kakalibi, served as a talent agent as well and represented all the students. So some of, our, some of the students were featured in feature films and commercials while a part of the school. Um, I actually got my first job after a year of joining the organization. It was a national commercial that featured me in the, the newspapers, TV, and three billboards on the island. So that was a big thing for me back then. Mm. Um, it was great, you know. I, I just remember like being really, really young and standing in front of the mirror and dancing and, you know, just enjoying myself, but always imagining that there was an audience looking back at me, mm, you know, nice. watching me perform. <laughs> but, you know, but when I look back at that experience, that was like the precursor for like for what my life would be like. You know, recently I was 
browsing on Instagram and I came upon a picture of a friend of mine with a caption that said, you have to see yourself there mentally before physically arriving. And it resonated with me because at age 10, even before I saw myself performing on stage, you know, as I said before, I saw uh, myself performing in front of a crowded audience. Mm-hmm. I did not necessarily associate those thoughts and images with it being a career. All I knew is that I wanted to do that. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to perform. You know, my first job um, was this commercial that I did. It was my first paint job. I was 11. And I just remember that whole experience. It was was fun, but I just remembered, you know, like shooting. It was like a very, very long day. You had to drive to like different locations. You had to set up, do retakes and until they got the shot, mm-hmm. you know. But I just remember us just kind of like being there and just being so happy and, and just, you know, just thinking like, wow, this is huge. You, you almost mm-hmm. felt as if you're like on, in Hollywood, you know what I mean? Because you saw the right. cameras, the lights, and you're like 11. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was like a lot of fun. So from there, you know, we continue, I continue training and, you know, enjoying myself as a young artist. Um, but I had my own challenges. I just remembered there was one time where, you know, my dad was trying to take me out of the organization for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure. Wow. You know, during COVID, I was really thinking about like loads of stuff. And, you know, my, my dad died like two years ago and I was reflecting on him and I was thinking about my life, um, my professional life. And when I started and, mm-hmm. you know, it was very, very difficult for them because, you know, to me, I was like an anomaly because children of my parents' friends weren't doing the performing arts. Mm. They were strictly academic. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you had my, then you had my dad son me in theater. And many people were like, how is he going to make a living from that? Mm. So during my, my teens, you know, you know, it was kind of difficult. And I just remember my father saying, oh, you're not going back. You're not going back. But I went, every time he told me no, I went. And I think the fact that I defied his orders, he soon realized that I was serious about it. Mm. You know what I mean? I was serious about it, yeah. even though he told me not to. But for me, it was like... You were determined. Definitely determined. And, and thinking about it, a phrase came to my mind. Um, recently was don't abandon your purpose because other people don't understand it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think that was just something, well, now I'm thinking about it. I mean, back then I was thinking about that. I was just kind of like angry, like, why are they trying to stop me? But I was a different kind of person though. Um, Heather, I was very, um, determined. I was very focused. I was very disciplined. You couldn't tell me no. I mean, when you told me no, for me, it was like, no, not right now, mm-hmm. but like, no, never. It was never, no, never. It was like, no, not right now. Or no, you have to figure it out yourself. Right, right. <laughs> like, we're not going to help you do this. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I stuck with it over the years and other p- opportunities presented itself. You know, after that, I did two more commercials. I performed with a musical theater group. And then I also had a role in a television soap opera. Wow. How old were you? I was about 19 at this point. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And were you in you were in Jamaica at this time? I was in Jamaica. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was in Jamaica. And actually how I got that role for the soap opera was that I did a Burger King commercial and it was it was as big as the commercial that I did when I was eleven. Mm-hmm. And the director for the soap opera said, I want the guy from the Burger King ad to do this role. Wow. And I we get because the agent who contacted me told me that. So I never had to audition for the role. Wow. Which I was grateful for. And 
even when I went to California, which I'll get into later, a lot of the times, well, a lot of the choreographers that I ended up working with was because they saw me on stage. Mm. So they would see me and they'd contact the choreographer that I was working with to say, can I work with that guy? Wow. So a lot of my opportunities came from that. You didn't even audition. You just booked from gig to gig. Yeah. But, but, that, but that, that, that comes with enormous pressure, though, um, Heather, because then it means that you have to deliver. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah. right, because they have an expectation. And so, yeah, and then I joined the, the National Dance of the Company of Jamaica that was under the leadership of Professor Rex Nathaford. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a wonderful experience. We toured to Canada, UK, America, and the Caribbean. It was great because, you know, Professor Rex Nathaford helped me to understand my cultural identity. So by the time I left Jamaica, I had a strong foundation. Discipline was instilled within me from Kathleen and my other teachers, but Professor Ressensburg helped me to understand my cultural identity. Mm-hmm. And that means that me having a distinct culture that I need to be proud of, no matter where I go, mm-hmm. because no matter where I go, I take myself with me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So then I moved to LA for university. And while I was doing that, I was touring and working with various choreographers. I was, I said earlier, um, it was home. You know, my brothers lived there. You know, I thought my stepmom was there, I was starting this new life. And it was, I think in my fourth year of living there, I got an opportunity to work on the Dream Girls film. Wow, like the film, like Beyonce, Jennifer Hudson film. The film, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, my brother, he had a girlfriend who was an actress. Yeah. And she contacted me and she said, David, um they're they're casting black guys for a film um downtown go to this location and you know you never know you might have an opportunity you may have a chance to get in so wait you were in the movie i worked on the film yep 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 so wait a minute i have to take a beat because i watched this movie religiously when it came out well let me tell you the the scenes that i was filming were cut i only saw i only glimpsed myself like in one okay like I, I and I even posted it on my Instagram and circled my face to make sure people knew it was you yeah it's on my Instagram page it was like as has been Beyonce was like coming down the aisle uh-huh. and she was like reaching to the people in the audience this was at the end she's like hey how you doing this was like this no this this was like the scene where Jamie Foxx you know he came and he pulled his pants down it was that whole that whole scene okay right so they're doing this this showcase yeah the label showcase yeah and and yeah and there's a picture of me there's a shot of me kind of reaching to her so i just kind of like i froze the the, the team i froze frame and i just took a picture of it with my phone and i just circled my head and i was like that's me and then people knew it was me because of my smile so they're like oh yeah that's that's definitely you right yeah that's when we get off of this interview i'm gonna go watch the film and look for it but also just look on my Instagram page and you scroll down, you see the shot. So you have an idea of where you need to like, you know, scroll to in the film. I'm definitely going to have a look at that. Wow. How exciting. Listen, you just give me an excuse to go watch it again. Yeah. But let me tell you, it was a great experience. I mean, you know how, you know, how people, you know, how people see, um, for example, like Beyonce, like untouchable. You can't go near to her. Mm-hmm. I was on the stage standing next to her. Wow. On the stage. I mean, incredible. I mean, talk about the fact that, you know, once you're like on a job, 
everybody's on the same level. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When we go to watch her in concert, it's almost like, oh, she's up there and we're down here. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But on that stage, you know, we're all on the same level. And then everybody's working. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then there was Jennifer Hudson. I saw, like, I had to, like, squeeze past her to go to the other side of the room. Then there was, like, Jamie Foxx. I mean, they had all these actors in one Eddie room. Murphy. Right. Anika Noni Rose. Yeah, because we're all on that stage Legends. as well. Because it was, like, her, it was, like, the dream Wasn't Danny right? Glover in that movie, too? He was, yeah. Yeah. And that, that one girl from um, A Different World, what's her name? She played um, Jamie, um, Eddie Murphy's wife. I can't remember her name. Oh, yes, the one who plays, um, yes, I know he's talking about, yes. Felicia, is it Felicia, Felicia, something like that? She plays no, which she plays, um, Jaleesa. Jaleesa, that's it. She wasn't, I remember, like, standing next to her, and I'm like, wow, this was great. So earlier in the year, mm-hmm. so 2005, I got a call that said, um, Lion King is coming to Jamaica to do auditions. Mm. Um, and so I contacted my dad and I spoke with him and I said, you know, I have a great opportunity. Lion King is coming to Jamaica. And I think I have a chance. I said, the pool is smaller in Jamaica. And, yeah, you know, if I were to do it here in the States, there are a lot more dancers showing up for this audition. So if I go to Jamaica, I think I could get it. You would stand out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I, um, he, he, he said, okay, I'll call you back. He called me back and he said, you know what? I'm going to do this for you because I, I would never want you to say that I never tried or tried to help you to achieve your goal. Mm. So I knew that there was a lot of pressure placed on me in that moment. You know, I really had to make sure that I was going to deliver at this audition. And so I went on a diet. I was drinking like wheatgrass every day to burn the fat, you know, to get myself <laughs> like ready. ready for this audition. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, it was like I flew in like the day before the audition. And I remember doing the audition and got to the end. And I said to Aubrey, because um, Aubrey was there. He was the one who conducted the audition. It was Aubrey and Celise Hicks. Mm-hmm. And I said to Aubrey, how was he? He said, you're a bit stiff. <laughs> <laughs> I said, how was I? You're a bit stiff. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, well, you know, I just flew in yesterday. So I think maybe because I was like on the plane, I've been sitting like for 12 hours. So yeah, I'm a bit stiff. But, you know, I was just... Um, very grateful I felt as if I planted a seed mm-hmm. right and I was just about to just allow that seed to just stay there they saw me they said I was castable and so I was just well, I wasn't going to allow fear to contaminate the faith that I had in that moment I just mm-hmm. said to myself David you've done it and you know your parents were in on it yeah. which I thought was a wonderful thing. They agreed. Yeah, they supported you through it. Absolutely. You know, we kind of like touched and agreed on this for me. So as I just left it. So it was later in that year because it was like coming up to like December because June, June Girl started in October and I was working on that between October, November and December. And December, I got a phone call from Disney, you know, offering me a contract. Wow. Work. Um, and it was interesting because right before that, I was emailing, like, I, you know, you get the email for the producers, like, Aubrey was a producer, and I emailed and I said, no, Aubrey, just let you know that I'm still in LA and I'm still available if anything should come <laughs> yeah. up, you know, because it's important that you stay in contact with these people to just let them know that you're still interested and have them fresh, have, have yourself fresh in their minds. That first phone call was to say that we're, we're interested, but we have to let you know, we weren't sure as yet. We just let you know later on down. And it was while I was on tour in New Jersey. 
um, that I got the phone call that said, we'd like to offer you the job to come to London to do the Lion King. Wow. So that was like major for me. And, you know, just being able to call my parents to tell them that it actually came. You got the gig. Yeah. It was like, I was so grateful just to know my dad never wasted the money. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, to have me come down. Um, so I get into Lion King um, and it was just wonderful. You know, I was greeted by all these wonderfully talented young people from all over the world. Yeah, people from Africa, people from Spain, people from Italy, people from different parts of like Asia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was wonderful. I think, oh, and what was great as well is there was another Jamaican that was in there, Kirk Patterson, nice. who was also a part of Kathy Levy Players. So I actually knew him. You had like family, yeah. Yeah, I knew him from when I was 10 years old. And, you know, it was right before I joined that I realized that he was in there. He had like probably like a year or two, he was like a year or two years ahead of me oh, wow. coming in, but it was nice to have that support of him being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I met, that's when I met Thea Barnes, who was our artist, our resident dance supervisor. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just great. I felt as if I was moving into another space where I could like build my identity. Do you know what I mean? As an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was years went by and of doing the show. And I remember one day I was speaking to the dance captain at the time, Aaron Morgan, and he had, just um conducted the auditions for the lion king that year i think it was must have been like 2007 may have been because i started lion king 2006 and i remember i remember asking like how the auditions went Mm -hmm. and he said to me yeah they went good a lot of the the dancers said came back at the end and and asked me you know how is that they weren't able to get like to the next round and he was saying well you know you have to keep practicing i said well you know it's the same audition we come back every year and it was in that moment I thought, well, perhaps they need like a class. Um, and so I kind of did my research to find out like what classes were around in London and realized that there weren't really no traditional modern dance technique classes available, mm-hmm. right? On a commercial level or in a commercial setting. And so I kind of sat down and thought about it and decided to do like a modern fusion dance class. Mm-hmm. So. So Jackson Pinto, this guy from Brazil, was he was in Lion King. He was teaching at Danceworks. And one day he asked him to cover one of his classes. And Jackson asked him to cover again until he then said to me, look, I'm going to ask to take over the class. <laughs> you, can take, you, can, you can take over the class. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I started to teach a modern fusion class because this, the dancers that were there were coming kind of for his kind of like Brazilian class. Right. So I wanted to you know, fuse that whole Caribbean, Afro-Caribbean dance and also, you know, my modern dance in new background. So I started doing that. And then, you know, fast forward to 2009, I decided to go um, to the Ailey School to do the pedagogy program um, because I wanted to kind of like formalize what I was doing. And I, mm-hmm. and it was after me doing that, pedagogy certification that Miss Barnes allowed me to teach company class on the Lion King. It was as if I, that was like my rites of passage. It was like, you did that, you know what I mean? Now you can teach us. So, you know, the fact that I took, my, took the time out of my 
Lion King schedule and use my holiday that I get to do that, you know, it meant to a lot of people around me, my colleagues and, you know, um, my, 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 my supervisors that I was serious about this. Yes. And so I started, I was able to start teaching the Lion King company and I've been teaching them since like 2009. And during that time, I, I wanted to do other things. And I was teaching at Danceworks. I was teaching Lion King and it was great. And I would be called in to do um, various masterclass and workshops. Right. And a friend of mine moved to the British Virgin Islands. And I said to him one day, I said, look, you know, is there any kind of schools or anything out there that, you know, be willing to like have someone coming from, you know, from London to teach? He said, well, there's this college here on the island that you probably could con- you can contact. So I, I said, okay. I said, let me do this. I said, I'm going to write a proposal and just send it off and just see if they're going to accept it. Yeah. So I wrote up this musical theater proposal and I sent it off. I mean, first I went online to see what they do. There's really no musical, there's no like arts program there, but there was a contact person who was in, cha- in charge of like development. And I contacted her and I sent her my proposal and I told her, you know, I gave her my objectives and what the learning outcomes would be for the students. And I'll be interested. I was interested in beauty in the summertime. Mm. And she contacted me. She said, oh, hi, this is great. Yes, we would definitely love for you to come to the British Virgin Islands to H. It's called H. Laverty College, it's called. And we'd love for you to come. We usually do a program every year, um, but we hadn't scheduled anyone to come in yet. And she, I mean, I was laughing to myself because I honestly felt as if this was not going to work. You know, I just, I just said to just to see if it would happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kamara and um, Heather, they pretty much gave me everything that I wanted. And I went back twice. They took me there. They brought me there twice. Yeah. And not many people know about this. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason why I did it was because, you know, when I was in university, I did a marketing degree. And the reason why I did the marketing degree was that I wanted to understand the, um, the business side of things. And I thought that me understanding, having that, you know, business acumen and being a very savvy in that area would allow me to kind of market myself and understand financial literacy and mm-hmm. that sort of thing around like the arts. Yeah. So, you know, I was in Lion King and, uh, I got an opportunity to, um, go back to school and, it was a tough decision because I, at this point, I had an opportunity to audition for Banzai. And I, in my mind, I was thinking, I want to go back to school. It's going to be difficult to do school and dance as an ensemble member because you're going to be called in for rehearsals and the dance track is very taxing. It's very physical. So if you were to go back to school, it might be difficult to handle that because you might be physically exhausted mm-hmm. to kind of like to do the work. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And also I was teaching as well. Right. So I thought that if I got Banzai, it will free me up a lot more because as a principal, you won't be called in to do as much as if you're an ensemble. And so I said, Lord, I want to go back to school. <laughs> I want to play Banzai. <laughs> I want to go to school. I want to play Banzai. And I'm hoping that this will all work out. 
So I applied for the program. I remember going up to Goldsmiths and I was speaking to the advisor and I applied for the program and I got in. And this would have been like October. And, you know, we came up to appraisals and I said, yes, I want to stay on another year. And then it was right after that, the appraisals that they had auditions for Banzai. And I think it was then the guy who was playing at the time decided that he was going to leave. Um, but I think one thing I, I kind of left out about this was that a year before that, or maybe no, actually it was three years before that, the guy that was playing Banzai on, on, on the West End for 14 years decided to leave. And I was covering him at that time. And um, I thought, you know, because he was leaving and I was covering him, I said, oh my God, this is the chance, this is the chance, I'm going to get it. And I didn't get it. Someone else got it from another company who was moving back to London and he got it. But what was interesting about that is that a week before he joined the show, it would have been a week before, it could have been a week before, I'm not sure exactly the, the, the kind of like time plan on this, but he broke his foot. Oh no. He broke his foot. And it was a week before that, that they had told me, no, I didn't get Banzai. Right. And after he broke his foot, they came back to me and said, David, we know we told you no, but is it at all possible for you to cover? And I said, absolutely, 100%. And the reason why is because I was still a cover for it. I was still a cover for the role. And, you know, you know, if you speak to a lot of my friends, they will tell you that I'm a very, very patient person. And I said to you, like, for me, when someone tells me no, it just means not right now. It doesn't mean never. It just means not right now. And so, and, you know, I think it took them like three weeks to get better, you know, and I, I was able to just step back and allow him to step back into his role because it was his. Do you know what I mean? I think that was the most important thing. It wasn't mine at that time. And I was willing to be patient and wait on my time to step into that role. And it took me, what, three years after that? Mm-hmm. Before he left for me to get the role. Um, and uh, oh, give me a moment. Let me just gather my thoughts. One sec. It's all right. Well, while you gather your thoughts, we're just, I'm just going to transition because you've given us so much. You're, you've kind of gotten us into almost present day. Right. Um, and you've lived and worked so many places. Mm-hmm. And I just, we just want to know where is home for you? You know, is it is it London? You've been here for how long um, now? What is it now? Like 14, 15 years? Yeah, something like that. You're in LA, uh-huh. Jamaica. So what is home? You know, I think home is where I'm in London. Home is where I'm right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> home is where I am right now. Um, you know, I bought a house here. And, you know, most people think that when you buy a house, that means you're ready to settle. And yes. But of course, my mom is in Jamaica and my brothers all live in America. And so, you know, if I'm in L.A., that's home. If I'm in Jamaica visiting, that's home. But in terms of where David permanently resides is here in London. I mean, I love London very much. It has, you know, provided me so many opportunities. I have a strong network here professionally. Mm -hmm. I mean, socially is very, very different because all my friends still live outside of the U.K. Yeah. But. I, st- I still like the city, despite the fact that I don't have that kind of social capital. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I have the professional kind of support 
and the professional capital. Um, but, you know, I really like the city and, you know, we're, we're in the month of what, July. And mm-hmm. for me, when the sun, when the sun is out in London, every day feels like a holiday. Yeah. Great. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm actually quite happy. So yeah, I think London for me is home. Yeah. Okay. So when you think of home, we also think about food. So I don't know if this will change your answer about what is home, but what's some of your favorite food from home here in the UK? And then what are, what are some of your favorite foods from your other homes in LA and Jamaica? Well, oh my God. In the UK, in London, my favorite food is Turkish food. Mm. Let me tell you. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's a restaurant in my house. There's a restaurant um, down the street from my house. It's called Efes. And they, they sell the best lamb kofta ever. I mean, it's just great. Yeah. You know, after this podcast tonight, I'm not cooking. I'm going to walk You're gonna down right on over the there. Back. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> it's just absolutely amazing. It's so good. You know, the flavors. And then, you know, to top it off, I get my, um, what's that thing called? The, uh, the dessert. You know, it's called, um, you know, I'm talking about it's made like a pistachio and nuts and stuff. Um, the, bak- the baklava. At the back of all, yeah. oh, let me tell you, it's so good. <laughs> but when I think about where I'm from, the land of my birth, mm-hmm. and I have a very interesting story around that because back before my dad died, I remember being at home and talking to him, and I said, "Dad, if you had to give up all, if if you had to choose only one dish, yes, that you had to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be?" and I, in my heart, I knew it was going to be this answer, right? And he said, curried goat. Yeah. And I was like, daddy, that's exactly the same dish I would want to eat for the rest of my life. Oh, I God. just love curry goat. Curry goat, it just, <laughs> when it's cooked right, it just falls right off the bone. It is so tasty. I mean, Kamara, and you know curry, you, you know curry goat, Heather, you know curry goat, Kamara. Yes, I used to eat it. I'm so sad I can't eat it now, but I used to devour it. It's so good. It is so good with that rice and peas, man. Yes. It is so tasty. And a, and a little you know, cabbage a, on the side, yes. Right, a little salad. Absolutely really, really good. So curried goat was my favorite dish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will always be, it kind of tops like everything else yes. that I like eating. Yeah. Oh, I have a quick question about food and then we can transition to other things. Is it plantains or plantains? <laughs> plantain that's how i say it that's the that's the only way to say it <laughs> yeah. it ain't no plantain okay it's plantain <laughs> oh gosh it's unbelievable how many arguments there are about the pronunciation of that word okay i know oh my god yeah <laughs> but it probably varies from culture to culture like you mean you know, the Nigerians might say it different. I don't know. So we're, all very, we're all very passionate about how, what the correct pronunciation is, though. Um, so, David, what I would like to know is what do you wish you knew about the UK before coming here? You know, apart from the weather, yeah. um, <laughs> which is so unpredictable, that changes from time to time. You know, I didn't know it would be probably this lonely mm. in the UK. Right that's probably like the only thing yeah you know what i mean because sometimes you feel as if you're alone doing everything yeah. you know what i mean i oh, definitely i get that absolutely and you know when i go back to visit the states or even jamaica because with jamaica a lot of my friends have left right but at least i have like my mom there but um when i go back to the states 
it's as if I never missed a beat. I just walked back into my life yeah. when I first moved there. Do you know what I mean? Your friends, I mean, there's even strangers who just walk up to you and say, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. And you start uh, a conversation like that. But I find that in the UK, it's not really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people say to me, so why don't you leave and go? I said, but it's still a great place to live. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be like this lonely. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that can, you know, if you're not like a, I would say for me, a spiritually rooted person, it can be very, very difficult. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are like affected by mental health issues, you know, especially now with COVID, you know, where you're sheltering and you're in isolation, it can be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to be like doing so many different things to kind of like keep my sanity, you know, during this time. Mm-hmm. When was the moment where you, you felt confident about how you are and how? how you present yourself to the world? Um, there are different moments in my life where I think I had that, but I think it's probably when I became a principal in the show. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And for me, it was, it just showed me that hard work really pays off mm-hmm. because over the years, Kamara and Heather, I had put in a lot of work mm-hmm. in preparation for that role. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was relentless. I was like, I was singing that song every night in the rings, going through those lines every night in the wings for years, mm. you know, in preparation for that role. And a friend of mine even called me and said to me, David, I remember you being in the wings, practicing and practicing and practicing. And he said to me, it was just so encouraging to, um, to see that you're able to achieve that, you know, after putting in so much work. So I think that was that defining moment for me where I was like, yeah, you know, you know, with all the humility, you know, because it was never about me per se. It was about me showing other people that it's actually possible. Right. You know, that your you, your dreams can actually come true. And yeah. if you set a goal for yourself, you can achieve it. You know, and even, you know, when I even think about the cover that I have in the show as Mufasa as well, that came unexpected, man. I mean, I just remember giving a call and said, look, um, we would like to see you audition for Mufasa. And I was like, oh my God, you know, you know, it's an opportunity to present itself to, um, <laughs> to play the role of Mufasa. I'm not ready for this. But, you know, uh, something I just realized as well is that real opportunities are the ones that we don't immediately see. Mm-hmm. They come so unexpected and at, at inopportune times. But, you know, I was remember speaking to a friend, Carolina, I said to her, you know, what should I do? She said, you know, David, if God is giving you an opportunity, you know, God knows when it's your time to take the next step, go for it, do it. But the thing with me is this, if you give me something, I am going to put the work into ensure that it is at the standard that you want it to be at. And today I can safely say that on this podcast and all my colleagues who'd probably listen to this would agree with me is that it is exactly where it needs to be for the show. Do you know what I mean? And I'm truly, truly proud of that. Yeah, so that was like another moment as well. Okay, you're giving this and you're like, oh my God, you don't know if you can do it. And then, you know, you put the work into it. You, you go, to, you know, I started, mm-hmm. I remember going to my a music teacher to work on the material. And I was even going to like a, an acting coach to work on the text and, you know, I just realized that it's a part of the journey. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that because today you can't do it. It doesn't mean like 
in a month time, you, you won't be able to do it. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and you know, and I've, I've been covering this role for a long time and I went through so many highs and lows doing it to the point now where I am confident and comfortable to being able to call upon at any time to play the role. I remember being on vacation, right? When I had to drive from LA to Vegas to visit my brother. Mm. I've been singing the song, going through the script, you know, it's a four hour journey. And so I would take those moments and, and work at it. You know what I mean? Because it was a part of my life. And I knew that, I knew it could change my life as well in the same way that Bonsai did. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that just kind of reiterates um, something you said earlier about you just have to see yourself there mentally before yeah, you're yeah. physically absolutely in that position. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you practicing in the wings. Right. That role for bonsai over. It's like you visualizing yourself in that play until that opportunity, you know, until that opportunity presents itself and you can just step into what was meant to be for you. Absolutely. That takes true dedication and a great work ethic. Absolutely. Uh, my question is, you know, you've shared with us your journey and how you just got thrown into um, TV and campaigns and stuff like that at a very young age. And, you know, you would spend time imagining yourself in front of audiences. But when did you want know that you wanted to be um, an artist? Like, what made you want to become a dance artist? Um, you know... I don't, to be honest with you, Heather, I'm going to tell you, I don't know when that happened. Mm. I just felt as if, I just, I just felt as if I was called to do this. It was like a calling on my life to just do it. Yeah. Um, there was no time where I said I didn't want to do it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, every experience that I had was just pulling me closer and closer to this, to this art form, you know, the singing, the dance, and the acting. You know, and um, there was always some success in it. I think there was some, even if it was a monetary or, and it was like someone saying, you know, you inspired me, you changed my life. I really enjoyed that. Or I came back to see you perform this, mm-hmm. or I like your smile because when you smile on stage, it just does something to me. It was just all those different things that people would say to you. Yeah. That, you know, it wasn't anything that would kind of like go to my head or anything, but it seemed as if it was having some kind of impact, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought that the gift that was inside of me was making room for me. It was just bringing me to all these different spaces. I remember, you know, in 94, when the performing arts school, we went to, um, we flew to Florida on tour and we performed um, for Bill Clinton. You know, it was just all these different kind of opportunities. I think it was Prince that came to um, Jamaica. We performed wow. um, for the Prince and the Queen. You know, it was like, all these different opportunities. Like we're all, in, I was always in this kind of like space and always working at a, a, a standard, a, you know, a standard, maintaining a standard of excellence. I think that's what it was. Um, during that time, you know, we're always, I was always placed um, in a in a, put in a situation where I had to express myself, express my gift, share my gift, whether it was with people um, within the dance community, always people outside the dance community. I remember being a part of Father Holong and Friends, which is a, um, which falls under the um, Missioners of the Poor, and they have like a music ministry where they put on like plays, and we travel around the world to help you know, to, to, to raise money for the point of destitute, like in India, Uganda, the Philippines and Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid for that. 
but I know I was using my talent to to help, you know, people. And so it was in those moments where I was selfless, I was giving, that I realized that this, and the thing is, having the same amount of joy doing it as if you're getting paid for it. Do you know what I mean? Right. It, it was it was that. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if if I'm if I'm being asked to perform and get paid and I'm being asked to do this to help and support this cause here, and I feel no different mm-hmm. in these spaces, it that means it's it's who I am. This is what I this is what I'm meant to do. You know, I remember my yeah. brother saying to me, David, aren't you ready to give this up now? You know, you're you're older now. And I'm like, Mm. I said to my brother, I was like, no, this is, this is what I do. So what's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned from working in your career in, in so many different ways? Um, being patient. Mm. Being patient is one of the lessons that I've, wor- um, I've learned about working in my career. Um, you know, I have been through a lot. Mm-hmm. Um in my development as an artist from Jamaica in California and here in the UK. Yeah. And it never stopped me. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I was able to de- defy all the odds, break down all those barriers, things that were keeping me back. There were many times where I could have given up, but you know, I just remained vigilant and I stayed focused mm-hmm. and I was patient. Mm-hmm. I was very, very patient. And you know, when I think about when I think about that, there were so many people that are around me that would say that to me and say, you know, David, I would have like given up a long time ago. I would not have gone back. I would not even consider this again because of the no's that you were told, you know. And but for me, you know, when you hear other people's stories and you see how they were able to overcome a lot of things in their lives, you know, you are no different. You are able mm-hmm. to do the same. And I was just waiting for my turn. You yeah. know, waiting for my turn to step into the next phase of my life. So, yeah. So, you know, also being self-sufficient, you know, I have always taken like a practical approach to my development as an artist, mm-hmm. you know, and I found like a stable way to um, express myself, express my artistry. And I think that goes hand in hand with the um, my business experience that I've had in terms of like my my degree in mm-hmm. business and always taking like a very business oriented approach to my industry and to my field. You know, I always, you know, think about not, it's not necessarily a monetary um, thing, but it's being able to give it structure, you know, and, and mm-hmm. for, for example, like starting Blake arts, when I think about, you know, COVID-19 and, and what that did to a lot of people, you know, I was very glad that I made a decision back in 2009 to develop Blake Arts because when COVID-19 happened, I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do during this pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I had something that was solid, something that was structured and I had a base and I had a following and I had people who, if I go anywhere, would go with me during that time. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, when COVID-19 happened, I was able to like take the model from the classroom and bring it onto Zoom. And it was like a seamless transition because I was able to still have my students and also gain new ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt as if I, that, you know, I was able to create like a upward mobility. You know, I was rooted 
in something and then you have like the, the you know now i feel as if i know have the branches there are branches now and just like reaching out to like different things i feel as if i have my hand in so many different things now and i have like a network of people mm-hmm. um in my life that's willing to support me and also that i can provide access to to my students yeah, yeah. so i think that the biggest lesson i've learned is you know coupled in all of that is being able to you know I'm grateful that I have like an access and a network of people that I can tap into, you know, yeah. during this time, because also as well, you know, I'm teaching, I'm teaching in India, for example, and that opportunity came out as a result of a student coming to my class a few years ago and then contacting me and saying, look, it's COVID-19 and my students can't leave to go take class. Can you teach us on Zoom? Right. And then she's like saying to me, and then she's saying to me, Oh, can you teach from now till January? (laughs) (laughs) Because the students, they're not going back to school until January. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know when my show's going to start back, but at least I have that to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, just want to pick up on one point. You're talking about your network of people and your students. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know I'm, I'm feel privileged to be in that network. When I first came over, you were one of the first I connected with. Mm -hmm. You gave me an opportunity to teach covering your classes. And that led into me having literally all of the jobs that I have now I have because Mm -hmm. of you, because you gave me that, that access to that network. Um, and we are constantly in conversation about how we improve our practice, what we do. We have somewhat of a reciprocal mentorship, at least I think of it that way. And, and we're feeding information back and forth to each other. So um, talk to me. I know you've had key mentors in your life. Talk to me about the importance of mentorship for you, um, both having a mentor and being a mentor to others. Well, I think mentorship is like the acknowledgement um of the importance of like another perspective. I think mm. we have to listen to another voice outside of our head in order to grow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. When I look at my life and where it is today, it's because of the people that I had in my life who were mm. able to guide me. Um, every decision that I made, Kamara and Heather, I would first consult a mentor. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, basic things. I remember I was buying a house. I would contact friends of mine who owned a home yeah. to make the certain decisions because, you know, that margin of error is very small. I do eight shows a week. I teach. I do all these different things. Mm-hmm. I can't really afford to make a mistake. Right. Let me go, let me go back. Make, make big, big mistakes. mistakes yeah. Exactly. The big <laughs> mistakes. Right. As a dancer, and especially growing up, I would seek mentors i would identify people um who i thought had you know something great to offer and it was just not just a physical but other things as well that i would identify you know like how you know where they went to school um their network um how they think you know it was just different things i remember going to a conference which was done by One Dance UK, I think it was. I died One Dance UK. Can't remember how the change happened. But I remember um, listening to this one professor speak and I remembered just connecting with him. Like what he said was resonated with me. And I went up to him at the end and I introduced myself. Mm-hmm. 
and I formed a relationship with him just from that introduction. You know, I got his email address, we connected, and he was the one, the professor, who kind of guided me throughout my entire um, degree, my master's degree at Goldsmiths. Oh, wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I realized that he was a perfect fit for me mm -hmm. just based on what he was talking about in terms of the work of mentorship that he was currently doing mm -hmm. and I thought wow maybe that's something that I could have access to as well mm -hmm. and it worked out for me because then he became my mentor and even today he's still my mentor in a lot of ways creatively and academic as well mm -hmm. um my role as a mentor well what I do I want to study what I do and my friend and I were talking about this, that I have a very practical approach. Mm -hmm. Like Kamara and Heather, if I see that a dancer has potential, I will literally just walk up to the dancer and say, look, I think you have potential. Come to my class. I'd like mm -hmm. to work with you. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. I've gone to Erdang, right? I've gone to Erdang, um, their, their showcases. I've seen dancers at the end of the show. I speak to Lindsay and I said, Lindsay, I want to speak to that dancer. I walk up to them and I said, look, I'd like to work with you. Um, here's, here's my card. Here's where my class is. Come and take class. Yeah. And a number of them who have come to my class that were interested, for example, in the Lion King, have gotten the Lion King because I worked with them. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. I have I, I have a real practical approach to mentorship. And I'm always willing to give any kind of advice that students need. And sometimes as well, I would offer advice. You know, mm -hmm. if I should identify something that I see there's a gap. Somewhere I will help to kind of like bridge that gap so that they can have sustainable careers. And I realized that, you know, to preserve my legacy as David Blake and my legacy as Blake Arts, I need to pass on information. I need to help students. I need to help better their lives so that they can make informed decisions about their lives, especially about their professional lives. Mm, yeah, that's really, it's really important that you recognize those things and those elements and that need to kind of nurture other dancers and was there a point or was there something that specifically inspired you to actually form the company in the way that it looks today? Well yeah you know as I was saying earlier is that that I start having like a consistent number of students coming to class and mm -hmm. I realized that they wanted more. It's not that I wanted more because you know I was working yeah I was working but I wanted to facilitate this class and provide an uh, a, an environment for them to kind of like for them to share, you know, and to grow and to connect with other dancers as well. Because I think um, they don't often they don't have t they don't have an opportunity to kind of do that. And I tried to create a safe space for them to do that. It's when Carolyn Lilly, who is the producer for um, Feel the Rhythm Productions, came to me one day and she said, "You know, David, you have these dancers. Why don't you put on a show?" Um, choreograph a piece and you can put on my showcase mm -hmm. and so one year I decided to do a duet I used Corinne and Bethany and they they performed at the showcase and I think other dancers got wind of that and so they were coming to class because they say that oh David puts on a showcase or David puts a piece in the showcase every year and it was from that experience that other dancers started coming and then when I realized that they were serious about this, I said, okay, I'll put on a piece, you know, we created work. Heather, you worked with me as well. Yeah. You know, after a few years of doing it. And, and so I realized that they wanted more from the class. And so I decided to form Blake Arts. Um, Blake Arts is like a, a more of a project-based organization. 
um, in terms of the ensemble parts of it, the classes, you know, are available to like pre-professional and professional dancers, um, ages, what, 15 and over, I think it is, that can come to class to train. The Blake Arts Ensemble are probably for like mid-career level dancers. Um, I have like a range of dancers that have, have participated, some who are most likely in the West End, and they're usually kind of like in between jobs. Um, you know, I see Blake Arts in the future almost being like a dance works or a mm. pineapple, you know, provo mm -hmm. providing training, but also other practical kind of um, experiences as well. And, you know, providing, you know, financial literacy and being able to manage yourselves as artists. I think that's one of the biggest things that artists struggle, especially doing this COVID-19 that they don't understand how to manage themselves. And it's because, you know, it's no fault of theirs because most of the schools, they really don't teach about, you know, Kamar, Kamar I know that you do a specific course in terms of like career development and management, mm -hmm. but I just think in terms of like specific things in budgeting, just mm. basic budgeting. I've, I mean, I've worked with so many artists that don't even understand that concept very, very well. They'll save, yes, but then, you know, there is no, they don't know how to kind of like practically manage themselves or sustain themselves. Mm -hmm. I want to like provide a practical angle for students, um, for other opportunities for them to work internationally. And also, especially what I realized during this time is to eliminate the anxiety for them when they're not working. So it's provide programs so that when they, when they face a crisis, they don't feel as if, they're going to suffer. So it's almost mm -hmm. as if saying that if there's a recession, it doesn't mean that you have to recess. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to recess when there's a session because when there is a recession, because you have strategies put in place to help you to manage yourselves, mm -hmm. right? Financially, mentally, and spiritually during a time of crisis. So that's another thing I want to be able to, to, to offer my students. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, you, so do you see yourself having... Um, a building you mentioned being like pineapple or dance works. Oh, definitely. What's the, what is your long-term vision? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I want to be able to have like a place that I can call my own or a place for Blake arts to be situated in. Um, that is something that I see, you know, not necessarily in the long term and actually in the short term. You know, I want to be able to have a place for them to go to. I don't necessarily have to run it myself. I want to be able to, I want that, actually that studio to run itself, really. Um, you, know, you know, when I think about me coming from Catholic, perform, from the Performing Arts Academy in Jamaica, you know, I want to be able to have a place like that um, in the future. I think that's what's going to be the next thing that I do, you know, coming out of theater is being able to establish an organization for dancers from all over the world from every socioeconomic background to be a part of um, where they learn discipline you know they get the time to train mm -hmm. and develop as sustainable artists so that's my plan i'd love to do it here in, Lo in london or somewhere in the uk where um i can have um a place i mean preferably london that would be great and but you know but not working in isolation, but like working Kamara with artistry youth and other organizations so that we can build a broader and wider um, 
network of, of artists like mm -hmm. my students should be able to work with artistry artistry should be able to work with me and we can just share knowledge and information and share talent as well because i mean one thing covid19 has taught us is that we have to actually start working together absolutely yeah that we have to start you know pulling our resources our expertise our knowledge together um so that we can thrive and survive mm -hmm. and you mentioned COVID-19 and we have had to you know we we've had to draw on so many different skills mm -hmm. and you know be creative be creative in the truest sense of the word I think yeah um during this time so how do you stay relevant as a dance artist and build a sustainable career well <sighs> Kamara, I know, I, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but if you want to build and maintain a sustainable career, you better get on social media. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You better get on social media and you better have access to technology. That's the only way you will be able to survive mm -hmm. post-COVID, during COVID and post-COVID. And, you know, when I talk about the network, I have friends who are working in other industries that have made suggestions to me and said, you know, David, check out this app. I saw that you posted this video on Instagram, but I think if you put it in this frame, you'd really get the attention that you want mm -hmm. for this particular image. And I'm like, okay, I tried that. And, you know, doing so many different things and, you know, using it to the best of your ability, not to abuse, you know, anything on social media, you know, or to be disrespectful or anything like that, but is be able to use it so that you can improve your life and, and, and also, create um, your content, create more content that can reach a more broader and wider audience. Yeah, that's very important. And, you know, as I think for the younger generation that comes so naturally, for us who, um, who weren't necessarily born when smartphones were around, you can find that it's still a little bit resistant, you know, but you're absolutely right, it has to be embraced. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, David, you've given us so many gems to think about. Um, mm -hmm. For me, that's what's jumping out at me is just that tenacity, staying like putting in that work ethic, and just being dedicated to what you do and doing it to the best of your ability. Like, mm -hmm. thank you for all of that. Your expertise. We're about to round up our conversation, but before we do, we have a surprise question for all of our guests. Okay. that we would like to ask you so it's in the name of the podcast we have to know which do you prefer yams or yuca and how do you like them cooked okay what's yuca now it's like another root it's almost like a, um is that cassava what's that yeah so the, I, the way that i've had them i've had them as yuca chips yeah so right so they're cassava they're cassava mm -hmm. yeah so which one for you um Probably yuca cassava fries. That's my yeah. That's my. Mm -hmm. I mean yams are good. I mean I only have yams when I'm having like sweet potatoes, you know, like a pie or something. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of like uh, if, what what I what would I prefer would be cassava fries. Uh -huh. Yeah. And what would you have them with? What's the perfect meal with cassava fries? Um. Well, I usually have it for like you know if I'm having like a Latin dish or something, so I'd have it with like you know like a um 
we call it a blazing bird from um, Las Iguanas. That's what they call it. So I have it with oh, that yeah, and a yeah. salad. You remember? Yeah, you because we've been there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have it with that that blazing bird meal. So like a half chicken is what I'd probably get with that. And I have some yuca fries with it, and then a nice, you know, nice um, chili dip on the side. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Any seasoning? Anything special on the chips? We're we're, we're trying to come up with a um a yams and yuca recipe book. <laughs> so you know. All of our guests are contributing all these look great. We've heard some great meals and ideas. So would you add any, anything special to the to the cassava chips or just as they are? You know, I recently had this thing called seasoned fries. So, I mean, I could like, I would probably get, what's that, what's that seasoning in the States? I can't remember it. Um, All Bay? Yes, something like that. Do you know what I mean? I'd probably put that on it or something, sprinkle a bit of that on it. And I'll have that with like maybe a chili sauce or a garlic sauce or something to dip mm. it in. But yeah, that'd be like really, really nice. I mean, plain is good as well because cassava, I like the taste of cassava. Yeah. You know, it doesn't even have a lot of taste to it, but I like the texture of it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So David, we have to finish up. I know we could stay here and talk to you endlessly. There's so much knowledge there. Right. There's so many things that we can always discuss. Um, Before we go, please let people know how can they learn more about you and your work? Where to give them your, your website, your hashtags, all that stuff. Right. So I'm grateful. I'm very happy that I can now say I have my website. Yay! Um, I launched it. Yeah. It, I mean, it's still going to be tweaking because it's not exactly where I want it to be, but it's there. <laughs> It'll get there. And you can have <laughs> access to it. So it's www.blakearts.org. Yeah. And you can find me on Instagram at Blake underscore arts uk and you can email me at info at blakearts.org excellent wonderful well thank you so much david yeah it was great it was lovely just to hear your journey um and thank you for sharing your insights Mm -hmm. about your career internationally and in the uk and obviously, of course, we cannot wait until we can get back into the Lyceum and see you on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot wait, of course, to bring Avery, your goddaughter, to see you for yes, the first time. I can't she's wait for been see, yes. She even said to me today, she was like, does David live at the Lion King? I was like, no, <laughs> he works there. <laughs> well, and we ain't there right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to come. She's going to enjoy it because yeah. I just said she's been listening to a lot of Lion King blanking videos and stuff so yes, i'm sure she's, she's looking just, forward to just yeah. her heart out so we cannot wait to see you back on stage we can't wait to see everyone back on stage and in the studio right 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 thank you so much for this thank you so much for having me yeah thank you all right all right bye so we're gonna take a little break digest everything that david just shared with us there was just so many gems and when we come back it's gonna be time for dessert we'll be right back for our sweet and savory desserts we're going to recap those moments of the conversation that gave us a sweet sugar rush or others that are richer stick to the stomach and a bit more fulfilling so for me um i was thinking about the sweet moment and i think this time it was the collection the fact that there actually wasn't any particular sweet moment what i found sweet and fun was that 
there were lots of savory moments there were lots mm. of things that were well thought out you know um david really he really seemed intentional about everything that he wanted to do and why mm -hmm. he was doing it uh which i thought was really it was really inspiring actually it was yeah. really inspiring he'd made a lot of plans and he had achieved things that he had wanted to achieve. So I thought that was really nice, especially, you know what I actually thought was sweet? I do have a sweet moment. I changed my mind. Okay, when he was, <laughs> when he was <laughs> able to, um, he said that he bought a house and he was able to do things that he wanted to. And his dad gave him permission to kind of do certain things that yeah. hadn't happened before. I think that was... So it's not necessarily something that's fun, but it was definitely something that was really, it was really nice, really nice that he felt he was able to make his dad proud and get his dad's blessing. Yeah, it was heartwarming and like sweet and fuzzy. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So the collection of the fact that everything was calculated and that he achieved what he wanted to achieve, I mean, I'm sure he has more goals and ambitions, but he was able to do that and he was able to do it with the support of his dad who originally seemed like may not have had the, the same level of support. So... What about for you, Heather? Oh, well, for me, my sweet moment was definitely when he was saying that he was in Dreamgirls. Now, like, I didn't have a get, I didn't get a chance to, like, really go into detail of why that was just so amazing. I mean, I know I, I was quoting the movie and everything. I know it really well. But when that movie came out, I went to go see it at least three times in the theater <laughs> when it actually came out. My friends, there's a moment in the... um film this is like when Dina first like becomes the soloist and they have their opening night as the like dreamettes or well, not the dreamettes as the dream girls in the in the club like a regular um like a regular night and um Beyonce has this moment where like she turns around and she's singing this certain part in the song in dream girl song and like literally like I have a picture of me from college of me doing like acting out that entire scene because people always <laughs> said my best friend was like you look exactly like her at that very moment I was like right. I know I'm Beyonce thank you <laughs> <laughs> so to find out that like one of our closest friends was actually in that movie and had a moment to reach out and touch like the fact that I know somebody who was like within arm's length of Beyonce I was like okay <laughs> <laughs> That was good. <laughs> that was good. That was good. And the fact that he said he he could only share that still of the I think what did he say the side of his face or something? And people know him from his smile. Right. Oh, like, right. Too good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That's good. And how he held on to that moment, how he's got the the still of that. Yeah. Actually, I need to look that up on his Instagram page. He said it was there. But yes, I need to sit down and watch that movie. Maybe I'll watch it with Avery. I'll watch it with her so she can see. And she'll be excited because um, David was actually in a TV show. I know I'm going off on a tangent, but David was actually in a TV show um, recently. I don't know if you know the show Glow Up on, um, no. on BBC. Yeah, it's on iPlayer. I think it was on like, I don't know which channel was part on, which, you know, they have all those different channels, but I don't know if which one it was on, but it's called Glow Up and they're in two seasons. And I was already watching it on Netflix when I went home to the States last year. 
Um, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize that was a British show and that I could just could have easily watched it here. And then David was like, yeah, I'm on the show. You know, they come, they have all these different challenges. It's a makeup um, competition show. And one of the challenges that they do is they go to a show on West End and they, they um, have to replicate the, the, the stage makeup that the, the regular um, makeup artists have to do each night or each show. And mm-hmm. so the first season they did Kinky Boots. And then the second season, which was the most recent one, they did Lion King. And David oh, was like, wow. yeah, I'm in it. So, you know, we've been home in um, lockdown and I was like, oh, excellent. I can actually sit down and watch this with Avery. And so it was, she was so excited to see him on TV, like on a TV show. And he was there mm-hmm. for quite a bit. Like he only spoke a little bit. You know, he was interacting with the makeup artist that was doing his makeup. But she's like, I want to see David. I want to see Uncle David on TV. So I definitely, she'll be excited. I don't, it won't be, from the sounds of it, it won't be as long of, his, of a um, cameo as it was in the show for dream girls but she'll still be excited by the fact that he's on tv <laughs> so. yeah no absolutely <laughs> absolutely you have to watch that again yeah you have to watch it again um so what about your savory moment um for me my savory moment came quite early it was when his friend told him you have to see yourself there mentally before you get somewhere physically mm-hmm. yeah i just thought that was like incredible like to have that vision of being in front of an audience and that really stuck with me, like visualize, you know, if it's not necessarily on stage, but like really visualize where you want to be and where you want to see yourself. And David talked about that a lot um, as he was sharing his story and his journey, you know, from being a young kid, um, dancing, in, you know, in front of the mirror, visualizing himself in front of people to, you know, visualizing himself as part of the Lion King cast on stage to visualizing himself and practicing on the side of the stage um, the role of bonsai well before he had actually gotten a chance to do it on stage. I just thought like just to have that vision and that um, um, that mental capacity and that self-determination, that's just, that's something I want to keep for myself, you know, as I'm trying to reach new heights in my career and, and, and changes and shifts and stuff like that. So what about you? Yeah, I actually wrote down the same thing because I thought it was a good, um, I thought it was a really good thought to see yourself mentally before physically arriving. But he, he, as you said, he said a few of those. One of them was that he said, don't abandon your purpose because other people don't understand it. Mm, Yeah, I wrote that down too. Yeah, so that's really... That's really good. You have to just remember why you're doing what you're doing. And sometimes, you know, it's so, so hard to remember sometimes, especially when you approach challenges or things Mm -hmm. like that, or you receive negative feedback, which in our industry, you know, happens regularly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just reminding yourself of things just don't work out, you know, how you, how you wanted them to. and, And you kind of think, why am I doing this? So you have to know within yourself, remember your purpose, uh, even if you don't have that support system around you. So that's what, that's what it was for me. Definitely. Absolutely. And do you have any others? I know you said you had lots of savory moments. I had a few savory moments. Yes. So I've written down a quite a few things. So one of them was that real opportunities are the ones that you don't often see Mm. he said that so you know sometimes you you don't even know 
what your potential is. Right. There are things that even beyond you that even you can't imagine yourself. So sometimes I guess we think too small. We don't even think big enough to what we're capable of. I I don't know whether he envisioned himself as Banzai. He probably did, but, or, or how his classes were going, but you know, he was presented with an opportunity to, you know, cover his friend's classes and, and maybe that wasn't something in his original plan, but th- yeah. that was the opportunity that he, he needed to take. Um, another thing he said was when he was doing the Lion King audition and he said he wasn't going to allow fear to contaminate my faith. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's just so many gems. Like, um, it, Again, that's things that we we face. We feel scared sometimes. We know that we should. We know what we should be doing. Like we know deep down what we should be doing. We know our purpose. Absolutely. But when sometimes we just get get we let fear take the better of us, and we don't we don't do what we sh- we know we should be doing. We don't kind of uh, live out our purpose because of that fear sometimes yeah. uh, and then the other thing that was savory was that he said he was practicing in the wings every night so before he had the role of Banzai he was practicing the role within the wings I think he was referring to Banzai yeah yeah with Banzai yeah yeah so he was saying the lines of when he was going on his road trip he was practicing um and doing his script uh, in his whilst he was doing his road trip uh, in America, uh, but yeah, the fact that he was practicing in the in the wings every night, and he said that hard hard work pays off. Yeah. So. Definitely. So yeah. So for me, there were so many savory moments, so many deep things, so many things that he was calculated about. Even how uh, he approached the interview, you know, he'd he'd really thought about what he wanted to say. Um, so that his his story could be communicated in in the right way that he wanted to. So I thought that was really, I think I said this before, but it's really inspiring. It's really really inspiring. Yeah. I was actually really tickled though during the interview because it was almost like he was directing. I was like, "Come on, direction! Right. <laughs> Let me take a pause." <laughs> yeah, it was just absolutely. It was really really good, and it, I mean that says something to like how preparedness like that work ethic knowing how that vision knowing how you want Mm -hmm. to present yourself and the legacy that you want to leave behind in the work you do and how you do it absolutely I don't know if people are always thinking about how they do things you know sometimes the focus is just getting there but they're not really thinking about okay well how am I getting there and what what does that say about my legacy of my work as well yeah, absolutely. And just being con- in control of your narrative. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, we're really taught, I guess, if you if you look at it from a marketing perspective. Right. And that was know, the, that's what he went to school for. Exactly. Exactly. And perhaps as he said that as well as creatives, you know, we need more of that uh, business uh, mindset. Approach. Um, mm-hmm. yeah business mindset absolutely um and think about your brand think about how you want to be uh, seen in the world and you as the individual as as your brand you have the control which which shouldn't be left up to other people as mm-hmm. to how how you're perceived in the world uh, so yeah so that that's important too 
Well, just so many desserts for us to to nibble on and take with us. <laughs> this is such a delightful meal, a delightful conversation, so fulfilling. Yeah, I can't wait to share this with everyone. So that's it for us for today. Um, we'd like to thank you all for listening. And please be sure to join us again for the next episode. Um, let us know what your sweet and savory moments are using the hashtag yams and yuca. That's right. Uh, don't forget to tag us at Yams and Yuka on Twitter and at Yams and Yuka podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Alternatively, you can email us at Yams and Yuka podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is Yams and Yuka podcast at gmail.com. Yes, and we want to hear your thoughts on today's conversation. So let's keep the discussion going. Feel free to share your stories as well to add to our Yams and Yuka tapestry. And we will chat with you guys next time. Bye. Bye.